It's time for Michigan's newest sports talk show, Mitt Madness. And here he goes. Defense win championship. Michigan sports talk from here in Battle Creek. The latest stories, the biggest games, all across the Mitten State. Streaming live and on demand on the 95.3 WBCK app. Here are your hosts, Jacob Harrison and Dejon Hughes. Hello there, welcome into Mitten Madness 95.3 WBCK. I am Jacob Harrison, the brand manager of WBCK. That is Dejon Hughes, brand manager of 1025-1049 The Block there in Battle Creek. Um, we've got a lot to get into. I've missed the past couple of weeks, and a lot has happened in those past couple of weeks. Um, and, and I mean a lot, not just for my teams, but for your teams and for the listeners' teams and every everywhere else in between. So we'll get into a lot. We do have two hours today because of the uh, what we believe is the impending snowstorm uh, <laughs> that would prevent me from driving from Battle Creek to Kalamazoo to produce Coach's Corner. So uh, we gave Bill and the coaches the week off. So if you were expecting Coach's Corner at this hour, we apologize for that. Hopefully you'll stick around with us and still get some sports talk in for the next two hours as we discuss the Lions, the Wolverines. We'll try to squeeze in some Red Wings and Pistons talk as well. But some of the biggest sports stories in the history of sports have broken over the past uh, 72 uh, hours or so. So We'll dive into all of that. Hopefully nothing breaks between our recording of this show Friday afternoon and Saturday morning when you're listening to this and we're not giving out any uh, undue and expired information. But with that, toss things over to DJ. DJ, man, how are you doing? How's it been holding down the fourth past couple of weeks? Oh, it's been fantastic holding down the fourth the last couple of weeks. The biggest thing is I didn't have to do it alone these last two weeks. That was awesome help that I got from the guys on RKR. Uh, Meatball came in week one and helped me out. And then last week I had both Mark and Meatball on. Uh, so th- three-person mic is something we should do from time to time. It it was amazing and, and made the show go great. But other than that, uh, I'm a national champ. There you go. So Congrats. I'm amazing. Uh, I lost in fantasy, so no one cares about that anymore. And somehow my Packers squeezed into the playoffs. So football lifestyle is through the roof right now. Yeah, uh, good for you. Um, <laughs> you know, somehow my, my Steelers squeezed into the playoffs. We'll talk at length about the NFL playoffs as well uh, at some point during the show. But uh, being the Alabama alum, I was very—I was everything I said I would be with you guys, uh, all of the Michigan fans in the office. Uh, very gracious loser in the Rose Bowl. Congrats on beating my Crimson Tide in the Rose Bowl. Congrats on winning the national championship for the 2023 Michigan Wolverines. And uh, it's a little bit harder to be excited about football when one of the greatest coaches of all time, who happened to coach at my alma mater, Nick Saban, hung him up on Wednesday night. Uh, as soon as I walked in the door, got home from work about 5 p.m., opened my phone and saw a post from the first radio host that I produced for in Tuscaloosa, got me into sports radio, saw him sharing the news that Nick Saban was retiring. And uh, I mean, roughly 30 seconds after it was announced by Chris Lowe at ESPN. So very bizarre time that was. Uh, and we'll talk about Nick Saban and the power dynamic that, that may be shifting here in college football here soon. But let's start with the Michigan Wolverines. They won the national championship. They beat the incoming Big Ten team, the Washington Huskies. 
Huskies 34 to 13. It was not that close until the end of the fourth quarter, uh, where all of Michigan's strength really came to show. I mean, Washington put up a good fight. They gave up the two big 40 plus yard touchdowns to Donovan Edwards on his first two carries of the game, which was the difference in the game for a very long time. But the trench warfare was undoubtedly the difference in this game. And it's it's kind of what I had the feeling that it was going to be. I never really had the chance to, to vocalize that. Uh, I really liked Washington coming into the game and was just hoping for a good game. And they just struggled to give that for most of the game. It felt like Michigan could have put them away at multiple junctures. Washington did step up in their run defense uh, in the second and third quarters, but in the fourth it broke out again. And then the defense started playing its role in getting to uh, – who many people thought should have won the Heisman after his performance against Texas, Michael Penix really, really struggled in this game, and it was in large part to Michigan, which I would say early in the season I was saying, well, who's going to be that playmaker for Michigan? Uh, who's going to be that Aiden Hutchinson type? And I don't know that they necessarily ever found that, uh, but credit to Stan Russell for for the pick there at the end that sealed the game. Obviously, that defensive front as a whole was just a menace throughout the playoffs, uh, but especially against Washington, even though they weren't getting quite as many sacks as they did against Alabama, they were torrential in that game. So that was kind of my takeaways. Uh, I, I was a little bit surprised by the final score and how weirdly not close the close portions of the game was. Uh, but overall, I am very impressed with Michigan in every aspect except their passing game, which they didn't really need in this thing to, to win anyway. So uh, plenty to talk about with J.J. McCarthy in the future as well anyway. But I mean, obviously, historic win, massive win, 15-0. and Your Michigan Wolverines are champions, DJ. I mean, I couldn't be happier about them being champions. I couldn't be happier about them ending the year as the number one team in the country. That's something I hadn't seen in my lifetime was a number one next to the Michigan name in football. Got a chance to see that. I've seen it in basketball already as well. They're one of two teams or one of four teams to make it to both a uh, college football playoff and a Final Four in the last 10 years. The other ones were like Michigan State, Oklahoma, and like Oregon or something like that. Like you're like, okay, that's a weird like group to be in, but I'm happy for it. But uh, my biggest takeaways were like the first half was great. And that's what we thought we were going to be getting for the entire game. And I would have been okay if we got the first half for the entire game. Two Michigan touchdowns, great off the rip. We look good. We're up fourteen to three. Had a chance to kind of put it away in the first half. Couldn't quite do it. Instead, they come back, they get within three, scores 13-10 at halftime, or 14, 14-10 at halftime, I believe. 17-10. 17-10, there we go. I was nervous. I was nervous because they were getting the ball back. I was like, this could become a game. I knew the game was over as soon as Will Johnson caught that pick. What Even an incredible pick it was, too. Oh, my goodness. One of the best picks we've seen all year. But even though Michigan didn't score a touchdown off of that, they got three points off of that, and that was enough. That was like because I remember somebody saying like, "Oh, Michigan's gonna go up big, like right out of the gates," and like, and I was like, "If they do that, it's over." And I remember like some point through the middle of the second quarter, somebody's like, "Hey, like if Michigan goes up," I was like, if "Michigan goes up ten or more, this game's over. This game's over." And coming out of the half, they got that pick, went up twenty to ten. I was like, "This game's over." Like I, I, I started celebrating because I knew the position that Michigan's defense was in. You have one of the best secondaries in the country going against a hampered Michael Penix at this point because the pass rush got to him and hit him as many times as they could. 
And I, I hope he's okay because his ribs didn't look good uh, toward the end. He, of the he game. looked destroyed at the end of the game. Yeah. So, but they just had them in a position where they could squeeze the life out of them like they've done everybody else. You're now forced to pass against one of the best passing uh, defenses the country has ever seen, and you're not going to do well. So then they throw another pick later on in the game. Um, Blake Corum gets himself a touchdown, uh, which we expected to see at some point in the game. The front, the front seven was great, and to know that we're only losing a handful of those guys, um, you know, Chris Jenkins has to go. I think Junior Colson's going to go. Mike Barrett's supposed to go as well. Mikey Saber still, but then like everybody else is supposed to come back. Uh, Josh Wallace has to go, but like Makari Page supposed supposed to come back. Will Johnson's supposed to come back. Well, has to. He's a sophomore. Uh, Mason Graham, Kenneth Grant, Rod Moore are all sophomores and have to come back next year, including, you know, Jaden McBurrows, Quentin Johnson, uh, uh, Keon Saab is only a freshman or a sophomore. These guys have to come back next year. One of the best defenses we've ever seen is loading up again like crazy. You can't tell me Michigan isn't a favorite to win again next year. And then you look at the other side of the ball, J.J. could go. He could stay. That's up to him. Nine times out of ten, Donovan Edwards is coming back. Because he's going to be the starting running back next year. He's going to be the lead back. I don't see why he wouldn't come back. We've already seen one guy leave the transfer portal um, as receiver. We know Roman Wilson's going to draft, but you still possibly have Cornelius Johnson coming back. You have Samaj Morgan coming back. Tyler Morris is coming back. This this offense looks good too. I don't other than the special teams, which was a little bit of a concern. There's really no problem so far in the future, other than a possible uh, coaching change, which we'll talk about in a little bit as well. And, and just the plays JJ made on offense like that. Oh no, that was against Alabama. I was thinking of the, the fake, the halfback pass that Donovan Edwards. Yeah, that was Alabama. He did make a big one there at the end though, uh, hitting the tight end over the middle, uh, questionable holding call there in the middle of, of the trenches. Not going to lie. And I don't think anybody can overlook that, especially after the very, uh, very poor holding call that went against Washington after their first big offensive play of the game, or at least in the second half, trying to get that momentum back. Uh, but I, I, I did kind of dog McCarthy a little bit, uh, in my, you know, summation of the game. McCarthy didn't necessarily play bad. It was just he was going up when he was asked to pass, he was going up against Washington's best, you know, defensive ability, which is defending the pass. They have incredible corners, they have fast and uh, alert safeties, and they've got a quality pass rush off the edge. All of Michigan's, all of Washington's problems were in the middle. And that's why Michigan ran for 303 yards in this game, not counting two yards of loss on, on the kneel downs. Like there's, there's not a lot that could have gone right for Washington if they could not stop the run. And that's what created such a, such a problem for Washington in the game. And you, you mentioned the, the momentum of Washington at halftime, they come off of that really nasty touchdown pass from, from Penix where he points out the hold, finds another guy over the middle and launches a strike uh, and, and gets the touchdown pass. But coming back in first play of the second half, you force an interception. Will Johnson gets one of the best interceptions you'll ever see. And it, it crushed Washington's momentum 
dead in the water. They were never able to come back from that, and it really rattled uh, Penix, who, you know, neither of these quarterbacks did themselves any favor for the NFL. But with Penix, since he's got to go this year, the way he reacts to pressure was very concerning because every time I've ever watched him play, there wasn't a whole lot of pressure in his face. Tonight, it looked like he was a guy that was scared to get hurt. And then once he was hurt, he did show the toughness to stand in there and try to make some plays late when it didn't matter anymore. But, oh boy, he did not look good. And it was all credit to Michigan's defense playing all, about as perfectly as you could against the team with, with the offensive prowess that Washington has shown all year. And I think Washington fans, Oregon fans, USC fans, and UCLA fans are all looking at that game and saying, what have we gotten ourselves into? We have to play in the Big Ten in the future. But plenty of that to, to discuss more about this game on the other side of this break. It's Mitten Madness here on 95.3 WBCK. Council. And we're back here on... And we're back here on Mitten Madness 95.3 WBCK. Jacob Harrison and Dejon Hughes talking about the national championship victory for the Michigan Wolverines over the Washington Huskies that took place on Monday night. Uh, I think, you know, ESPN and everybody else since has tried to pry out of Jim Harbaugh and the rest of the team, you know, what what the moment felt like, what it meant to them. And I, I don't know about you, but it felt like a lot of guys really skirted that question, especially Harbaugh. Harbaugh had zero interest in talking to any media personalities uh, after the Rose Bowl and after the national championship. Um, but that, that opens up the question I, I want to give to you is when you think about this team and them winning the national championship, sixth team in, in NCAA history, uh, at this level, at the FBS level to go 15 and 0 or better and to win the national championship in the college football playoff under the circumstances that they had, obviously all the off the field nonsense that is going to carry a lot of weight with uh, with other fan bases much more than this one, I think in a negative light, uh, I saw plenty of, you know, notions of the fact that this game was played in Houston where the Astros play. And, you know, a lot of my Alabama friends were retweeting the Michigan celebration graphics with asterisks and, and those types of things. There's a lot of negativity around Michigan. Uh, but obviously there's a lot of pride in this state. So I ask you as the fan and, uh, as somebody that followed this so closely, what is kind of your takeaway of this 2023 iteration of the Michigan Wolverines that were able to win it all? Um, the, the biggest thing is this is a team that's full of guys that understand what sport. There's going to be criticism. There's going to be teams that don't like you. There's going to be fans that don't like you. There's going to be scandals that happen. There's going to be, you know, all kinds of things that, that go on dur- during a football season or, or any sports season, really. And your job as a player, as a coach, as a member of the team is to ignore all of the noise outside of you and do your job that you're there to do. And these kids did that weekend. I shouldn't even say kids. These men, these men, 18 to 26 year old men did that weekend and week out. They practiced hard. They studied hard. They watched film. They, they traveled. They did everything they had to do and they went out and beat 15 teams on the gridiron week after week, and won a Big Ten title, a Rose Bowl, and a championship game. I don't know what else. They beat their their most arched rival for the third year in a row. Decimated their in-state rival. 
pretty much broke uh, their other conference rival in Penn State with 32 straight runs. Like It didn't matter what kind of challenge you threw at this Michigan team. They were going to rise above it. And that says more about their character as a program, as a school, as a team. But more importantly, those individual players. That means those players can go into any atmosphere in the NFL, any atmosphere in a job, any atmosphere in the world, and be prepared to rise above whatever challenge comes their way. Those are the kind of things you want out of your football team. Once again, you as an Alabama fan can tell me better than anyone else that that's what Alabama teams in the past did. They rose above every challenge that came to them because Nick Saban made it clear. If you want to win, you have to do what it takes. You don't have, you don't get to pick and choose what things you want to do. You do exactly what it takes. And this is the formula. And Michigan has found their formula and they're only taking guys that are going to do what it takes. And if they don't, they're moving on with them. And I think the comparison to Alabama is valid because Alabama for the better part of the last, you know, uh, 17 years has been the empire, right? They, they've been the boogeyman. They're the guys that everybody hates unless you're an Alabama fan. Even people that respect Alabama for what they've done in that time period hate them. And they come up with and, – and I've had to have these conversations in the office as an Alabama fan is, you know, all of the, the conspiracy around Nick Saban and how he got the best players and how he got the best coaches and everything that goes into that. There's oh, – you can look at the Patriots over the past 20 years and uh, – Shoot, it might, it might creep into the Chiefs here soon and, and the 49ers here soon. Um, when there's greatness, there's, there's always somebody that is looking to tear it down and they're looking to find some way to tear it down or to justify it to the real world because there, there are those among us who cannot fathom to have that kind of success. Uh, as you know, and we'll talk about Nick Saban and the power dynamic later, but as Nick Saban retires and you start to see, uh, analysts and, People that commentate on college football saying, I wouldn't want to be the guy to follow Nick Saban. Well, that's why you're not a coach. Why would you? 99.9% of coaches are wired to say, I can do that. And that's the difference. So for a team to look at the, the frankly, humiliating defeat against TCU last year and say, we'll be back. We'll be back and we'll do it and we'll finish the job. And to bring the guys back that they brought back, like Blake Corum, to have J.J. McCarthy have a, a solid enough year to have Rome Wilson, to have that defense play the way they did, that takes a tremendous amount of effort, especially – and then you calculate in the fact that for six of these 15 games, they did not have their head coach for one reason or another, and we talked about the, the cheating scandal enough. Uh, and there's, there's certainly a conversation to be had about that down the line, but for the players to look – look this situation in the face and say, yeah, we're going to do it. And then go out there and do it. Even when it's hard, even when Alabama, who is a team coached by somebody that knows how to pull this crap off without his best assets, because this 2023 Alabama team is not the best team he's ever had. And he almost went the distance with them through Michigan, this Washington team that was young and hungry and determined and uh, had a Heisman validated uh, quarterback at the helm. You ran through them too. It's it's so so impressive to me what they did, and that's not even calculating in the fact that Jim Harbaugh might not even be here anymore. He might not even be in Ann Arbor anymore after this. 
these players did so much as a team for themselves that it's so, so uh, impressive to a scale that you, you can't really compare. Like, is the 20, a lot of people always want to do this. They want to compare this champion to past champions. I, and I'm sorry if this offends a Michigan fan. If you put the 2019 LSU team up against Michigan, Michigan's losing. I'm sorry. You put the 2020 Alabama team up against this Michigan team, they're losing. I'm sorry. But none of that matters, right? That's all hypotheticals. This year, there was no better team in college football. You could argue Georgia if you want to. You could, you know, say what you want to about Florida State and their situation. There's there are some teams, and you could tell it with those two teams that I brought up and some of the Georgia teams over the past couple of years, where throughout the season, you can just tell. Ain't nothing stopping them. And nothing stopped them. And that is, that's how I look at this team and how wildly impressive they were. Because uh, football is a team sport, and this is one of those situations like 2019 and like 2020, maybe not as talented, but ultimate team aspect, and that's why they pulled off what they pulled off. Yeah, I mean, it, there's you heard it all the time. Like guys were like, "Oh, the team, the team, the team, the team, team 144." Like, "Oh, we do it for this." Like, I mean, a great example of that is Blake Corum scoring right after Zach Center gets hurt and he throws up the six five. Like, they yeah. cared more about each other and about winning than they did about their individual stats. They asked Donovan Edwards, yo, you've had a down season. What's going on? He's like, I mean, yeah, like I've had some mental issues and I've been dealing with it and like I'm not as successful as I want to be. But my team's 14 and 0 undefeated in a national championship game. So what do I have to complain about? Like they understand that it's, it's better to just be good as a team than it is individually. They know. They'll get their payout where it comes. Um, and I think a lot of that starts at the top down with a guy like Harbaugh who may or may not be coming back. And I think that's a big thing that a lot of people are not talking about is we don't know what's going to happen with J.J. McCarthy, Cornelius Johnson, Jim Harbaugh. Those are like the three biggest question marks for a Michigan fan right now. Yeah, is our quarterback uh, coming back? Is our best receiver coming back? Is our coach coming back? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I'm, I'm cautious to get into the Harbaugh thing just for for the sake of time. Uh, so I do. I want to touch on Blake Corum real quick before we take a break. Uh, Four years of production, obviously his, his first year, very slight. Uh, 675 carries, 3,737 yards, 58 touchdowns, an average of five and a half yards per carry. I, when, when he scored the second touchdown that really, like, the game was already sealed after his first, uh, there in the fourth quarter, but after he scored his second touchdown, the thought kind of ran through my head and I wanted to bounce it off of you. Uh, cause you know this team much more intimately than I do. But I look at Blake Corum, and I thought last year was already one of those seasons where it was like, oh, this guy could be one of the greatest to ever wear the maize and blue. And then he, do- then he does what he does this year where he doesn't have all the Heisman fanfare because the yards aren't there, which is silly. Because uh, dude finished the season with 27 touchdowns and the all-time rushing touchdown record in Michigan history, which is mind-boggling. There's some names on that list, ladies and gentlemen. 
Uh, I think, uh, you know, it, it doesn't sound so wild when you say one of the best running backs because he owns such a, a lucrative uh, record. But to say he's one of the best to ever wear a Wolverines uniform, and I'm talking like top five <laughs> kind of conversation. Like, do you feel that way when you think about Blake Corum? Because I, I see him and I just see like that guy embodies what it means to be a Michigan Wolverine better than anybody I have seen in my experience in college football. But this, you know, Michigan hasn't been at this level of, you know, success in a while, but that's the way I see Blake Corum. How do you see him? I I like where your head is going, but for the sake of time, I will touch on that when we get back from break. So stick around. We got more Mid Madness coming your way on 95.3 WBCK. Outcast. Detroit sports fans, Wolverines, and Spartans alike. This is your sports show, Mitten Madness, with Jacob Harrison and Dejon Hughes on 95.3 WBCK. Last week, where I opened up all of the segments, Jacob's here. So it's okay. Just relax. <laughs> we just make some things up a little bit. Uh, yeah, he, we left off in the last segment with him asking me kind of how I feel about Blake Corm and where he ranks among the greats in, in Michigan football, and, and is he one of the best to ever put on the jersey? And it, yeah, I mean, it, it's not hard to say. You know, he's easily in the conversation with guys like. Charles Woodson, Desmond Gardner, um, Braylon Edwards, Jake Butt, Taylor Lewan, Tom Brady. Like the, the, you can go on and on with guys that have that have worn the jersey. He's right up there, and it's not just because of his play. It's everything he does with BC too, and 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 everything he does in the community around, and making sure. He, and he said it himself. He's like, yeah, being a good football player is great, and and I want people to know me for my talents. But if they didn't know me for my talents, it's more important that they know me for the things that I do, being a great man and helping other people. That is the definition of a Michigan man. That is what the school looks for in their athletes, is a guy like Blake Corum. So there's no way I couldn't put him near the top of this list. And same thing goes for Mikey Saber still. Like, this is one of those years where, like, we can look and Zach Center, Carson Barhart, Trevor Keegan, J.J. McCarthy, Don, uh, Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, Mikey Saverstill, Junior Colson, Mike Barrett, Josh Wallace. These are all guys that are Michigan men. They do exactly what the program has been asking for football players to do since the beginning. They're great guys at heart. They love helping the community. They have just a helping bone in their body, but they're also phenomenal football players and very smart men. What more can you ask for? And the leader of that, no matter how you want to put it, is Blake Corum. You can say quarterbacks always lead teams, and that's partially true. But Blake Corum is one of the main leaders on this team. Behind probably the only person ahead of them is probably Mikey Sabres as the actual captain. And, and what a story his is to start as a receiver and then move and play Nickelback and be one of the best to do it. And he'll move on to the next level and play that position and and be one of the best at it. I have no doubts. And Corum as well uh, is going to be a fun NFL star. 
as well. I think, you know, obviously he's got a lot of tread on his tires, but I think anybody overlooking Blake Corum for any reason is doing themselves a huge disservice. He's going to be fun to watch in the NFL. I say that to transition to J.J. McCarthy. Uh, a lot of thought was that McCarthy could be a first-round quarterback if things go very well for Michigan. And, you know, he's able to back up what he said uh, he wanted this team to do. <clears throat> well, they managed to actually do exactly what he wanted to do. Uh, and he did improve in some capacities. Uh, here's his 2022 stat line. 65% completion percentage, 2,700 yards, 22 touchdowns, five picks with five rushing touchdowns. His 2023 stat line is very improved. 72% completion percentage, uh, just short of 3,000 yards, 2,991 to be exact, 22 passing touchdowns, four picks. And uh, three of those came in one game, by the way. Um, and then three rushing touchdowns. And the the little bug at the bottom, the little graphic said that he was the number five quarterback on uh, Kuiper's big board. And I don't think he did anything in this football game against Alabama or throughout the season to really justify that first round grade. If if I were JJ McCarthy, and if I were a you know true draft analyst, I've done done plenty of that work in the past. To, to be able to have at least some informed opinion on it. There's no way I'm going to the NFL after this. I would try to come back and run it back whether Harbaugh is back or not. Um, but where, where do you stand? What, do you think JJ has done enough or do you think the, the, you know, orgy era is, is too enticing to allow McCarthy to come back to encourage him to go? What, what are your expectations for what JJ McCarthy does next and what do you want him to do? I think he has. A very tough decision to make in the next couple months. Um, in reality, can he go to the NFL? Yes. He's shown that he has every skill he needs at the NFL level. And he would just be in a position where he's most likely going to sit behind a guy that's pretty decent, learn some stuff, and then get a shot in a couple years. I don't hate that for him. It actually works out pretty well. Uh, hello, Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers, right? Like that, that formula seems to work decently for some teams. So depending on where he goes, that could be a great thing for him. But on the flip side, I realistically would love to have him come back. He, he's a great quarterback. He knows our system. He works well with Donovan Edwards, the receivers he already knows that are coming in. And that gives Jaden Davis, four star freshman quarterback, a chance to learn behind him. Orgy and, um, uh, Denagon, I think that's his last name. Um, and and Tuttle all get a chance to continue working behind JJ. Like there, there's really no bad decision for JJ here, in my opinion. Um, the only thing is he could get sort of bad luck in where he gets drafted, but it wouldn't be a bad decision for him to go to the NFL, and it would be a bad decision for him to stay. Selfishly, I would love to have him stay because. That gives Michigan the best chances of returning back to the national championship and possibly winning it again. Yeah, I would agree. I, I see McCarthy as like a late second, early third kind of guy right now. Um, and I know a lot of Michigan fans are, are not going to agree with that, but I, you, there were accuracy concerns. Uh, there were ball placement concerns, decision concerns. Um, and frankly, to be as good of an athlete as he is, I don't think he rushed. I don't think he scrambles enough. I don't think he manages behind the offensive line well enough. There's just things that he can learn and he's got so much potential. 
Uh, he's got the right build for it. He's got the look of a guy that could be a franchise quarterback. Uh, but living up to that whole, he's the best quarterback Michigan has ever had moniker. Um, listen, Harbaugh can say that and hype his guy up and I'll respect it. Got no problem with it, but ask yourself sincerely, as a Michigan fan or as anybody else, be as objective as you can and look at J.J. McCarthy and say, if he had to throw the ball 35 times against Washington because the run game wasn't working, is it the same outcome? If they had to rely on J.J. McCarthy to throw the ball across the yard to beat Alabama, as Joe Burrow once did, as uh, hell, Stetson Bennett's done that to Alabama before. Could J.J. McCarthy do it? And the answer is uh, he could, and that's not emphatic enough for a first-round pick. That is, That has to be a undisputed yes um, for a franchise to place their faith in you. And I agree. <clears throat> Excuse me. I agree with you. If he went to a situation where he could sit for a year or two and then get his shot, it wouldn't be that bad for him. The problem is, is that this is 2024. Your Packers are the only franchise in the NFL that does that. My Steelers don't even do that. The Patriots didn't even do that. There's, you know, you can look to every traditional football, traditionally run organization in the NFL. There's only one out of 32 that will actually draft a quarterback, let him sit, and then give him an opportunity. We've seen guys get that and then never be given the opportunity. Matt Corral is a guy that got drafted in Carolina with the intent of him sitting and waiting and getting the chance. He never got that chance. Uh, Sam Howell was a guy that was drafted with the intent of sitting and waiting. He didn't get the chance to sit. <laughs> he was immediately thrust out there. Uh, so best laid intentions for the NFL. That, and that's the, the beauty of the NIL. He's not going to be chasing the money. Uh, not that McCarthy, you know, doesn't come from a, a situation, obviously. Uh, but, you know, there's no incentive monetarily to go to the NFL. Um, he can sit back, sit back, be the, the face of Michigan football next year, look to do it again and possibly put up better numbers and then have an opportunity to actually be a first-round quarterback, which is what you need to be able to be put in the situation. You don't have to be a top-five pick, bona fide top-ten pick, anything like that. Uh, and I don't think he will be just based on his body of work so far. But having the opportunity to build upon what he's done, continue to be a clean football player, that'll give him a better opportunity than, than sprinting off to the NFL uh, this season. But one thing that I think will hurt him, is if he doesn't have Jim Harbaugh in that respect. So we'll talk about the uh, potential for Jim Harbaugh to either be or not to be the head coach of the Michigan Wolverines next here on Mitten Madness 95.3 WBCK. 95.3 WBCK. Back here on Mitten Madness, 95.3 WBCK. I'm Jacob Harrison, and that is uh, Dejon Hughes. And DJ, one of the weirdest seasons ever for college football, uh, for, for head coaches. The fact that Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick, and Nick Saban are not going to be coaching anymore. Uh, Bill Belichick, a little bit more out of the question. He, he may not be retired, uh, but... Those three are not with their programs anymore, their franchises. Jim Harbaugh has been rumored for years to be on the verge of leaving Michigan, and he finally did it. The hometown kid finally came back and finally got that championship. And there are there are always updates on hit. Every single year there's an update to his contract of 
you know, no NFL clauses and this, that, and the other. And I don't, I don't know. But when I look in the NFL, Bears kept Eberflus, but the Chargers job is still open and the Chargers job would be very enticing. Uh, Harbaugh played there for a short period of time and Justin Herbert is there. There's options. There are, there's opportunities. Uh, you know, the Titans would be an interesting situation where it, you know, there is a bit of a rebuild to be had there, but you already have Will Levis. Uh, there's options out there for Jim Harbaugh. Does the sentimental value of winning that national championship and now the potential with Nick Saban retiring to get a piece of the stronghold, you know, the chokehold grip over college football and try to pry that away from Kirby Smart or at least share in it like Saban has in the past with other coaches like Dabo Swinney uh, and Urban Meyer, is that enticing enough to keep Jim Harbaugh here? And what what is your take on the future of Jim Harbaugh and Michigan football as it relates to where he is coaching? <laughs> I, I am playing this thing like I play anything else that I don't have any control over. I'm just going to see what happens. Like, part, That's safe. Big, <laughs> it, it is. It is. But – a big part of me wants Jim Harbaugh to stay. A huge part of me wants Jim Harbaugh to stay because he's done a phenomenal job turning Michigan football into the program that it's supposed to be. But a piece of me knows that he probably is still chasing that Super Bowl championship. That's one of the highest trophies you can get in football. I think it is the highest trophy you can get in football, honestly. Because like they're not a, like an Olympic level unless you want to count this flag football stuff that's going to be happening in twenty eight. <laughs> so he's he, there's a chance he does want to leave and and go do that. And like there's some some teams out there like more specifically the San Diego, Los Angeles Chargers who he happened to have played for when they were in San Diego um, that have a good quarterback and a good team and just need some better coaching. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him go back to a program that he's already been a part of to try and bring them back as well. But I wrote an article about this. You can check it out on WBCK um, or any of our other sites. Um, And basically I was like, could he come back next year? And there's a possibility. I saw him during his interview say, oh, we're going to kick spring practice back a month. You know, we would normally start on Valentine's day because we just love football, but we're going to kick this back a month or so. And maybe it's just a party and celebrate and get a parade in and do all of that. Or maybe he's going to give the university of Michigan time to go find a new coach because he's going to leave a month is a long time to push back your spring practice. Or maybe it's just a weather thing because the winter weather is hitting here later in Michigan so then it's not going to get warmer really until March or April. So maybe he just wants to kick everything back for that reason. I don't know. There's tons of reasons why they may be kicking things back. But him just simply stating that Michigan football is going to push back practice gives me a little bit of a, hmm, maybe, just maybe, he's going to stay. So that I'm, I'm, I'm hoping he stays. But going down the realistic line of either side can happen, and I'm just going to react from there. I look at 
So the only reason he wants he would go back to the NFL is to chase that Super Bowl title. Uh, you know, he they showed the graphic. You know, is his dad won uh at at one level uh, I'm not really I don't remember what level it was uh but his dad won it won won it all at one level Jim finally won it in college but his brother John obviously won the Super Bowl that they coached against each other in which was unprecedented and super cool uh even if that was a very stressful Super Bowl for me um but I look at the timetable so San Francisco he inherited a rather okay team uh, that that wasn't a bad franchise at the moment that he took it over. Um, Mike Singletary had kind of built something there. The problem was at the quarterback position, Alex Smith was – Alex Smith at that time was considered such a bust. He was not given a, a, a great opportunity to be successful. Harbaugh comes in and immediately fixes Alex Smith, and Alex Smith goes on to have a, a tremendous career for the remainder of, of his NFL career. And then he gets Colin Kaepernick. Now, I know talking about Kaepernick on this station will, will certainly do do me some favors, but sticking strictly to football, um, you know, they went to that Super Bowl rather quickly because he took that job in 2011 and he was out by 2014. That's four years. And he, you know, already coached in a Super Bowl. Uh, five and three in the playoffs, 49-22 and one overall in the NFL wildly successful in just that short period of time with San Francisco. But when he came to Michigan, while Michigan wasn't down in the dumps by any means, don't get me wrong, I don't think they've ever been there, uh, there wasn't a program that was like ready to win a national championship right away. And it took him this long. You know, I get it. The past three years they've been in they've been in the race, they've won the CFP, they've beaten Ohio State, yada yada yada. Twenty twenty can't really count. Uh, and that was a weird year anyway. And they had a losing record, which is, you know, shows why it was weird. Um, but 2015 to now is how long it took. I don't think he wants to rebuild anything. And say what you will about the Chargers, having Justin Herbert and all the talent that they always have, there's still an aspect of rebuilding. I mentioned the Titans. There's a rebuild there. You can go to any of the openings out there, uh, and I'm not sure how many there are, but those are the only two that make sense to me since the Bears job didn't open up. Uh, I just think it's too much work. And I'm not saying that he's scared of work or anything like that. It's too much work for something that is going to take a long time uh, for a guy that is 60 years old. Like, he, to me, and, and again, to my earlier point, this is why I'm not a coach. <laughs> it makes more sense. To me, logically, for Harbaugh to stay where he's at and continue to build upon his legacy here in in Michigan and never have to worry about anything ever again, make more money, because Michigan's just going to keep throwing money at him to make sure that he never goes. And, you know, his agent's playing the game like he always does, and I can't blame him for it. Uh, but to me, there's just, there's not enough there to warrant the jump. I know it's been rumored for so, so long. I think now is not the time that makes sense for him to do it. So I, just, I, agree. I, I don't see it. I agree as well. I think like he has a chance to do something great here at Michigan and, and start a dynasty. And the biggest thing is you don't start a dynasty with one championship. You do right. that with multiple. And he has an amazing opportunity where he's at the top of the transfer portal. He's at the top of uh, the recruiting. He's at the top of coaching. He has some of the best staff around him. The players are great and want to be there and come back. People love Michigan football. Why wouldn't you stay? Especially when you've been offered 
a 10-year, $120 million extension. The man is about to get paid. I mean, well, I, the NFL pays its coaches more now than, than they used to, but it still pales in comparison to college football. Now, obviously, like if, if this was about money, there wouldn't be a question. This is about chasing a Super Bowl. But how realistic is it to just step in and do what he did last time in San Francisco? It's just, it's just not. Now, if he does it, I'll commend him for it and I'll have no doubt that he'll turn around whatever team he goes to with a quickness and, and be right back in that conversation. He's one of the best coaches on the planet. Uh, especially now since three of the greatest ever to do it have retired. He's up there, man. Uh, it's just, it's hard to, to fathom doing it now when there's the opportunity to do something so great. Uh, with Nick Saban out of the picture, uh, the 12 team playoff opening up, you have more margin for error, error. Uh, the NIL will get sorted eventually. The transfer portal will get sorted eventually. And this will all work to his favor a bit more than maybe he sees that it does now. And it, it'll really be him and Kirby Smart vying for that power control at the top of the college football world. And I think they could trade back and forth quite a bit. And if he continues on the trajectory that he is, continues to get in solid quarterbacks like J.J. McCarthy, which has really been one of the things holding him back throughout his tenure here, is having the right quarterback. He can do something very incredible here. I, oh, beat, beat Ohio State one more time. And Ryan Day is not a problem anymore, right? And they have to rebuild in that respect. You know, they might knock it out of the park. They might not, and it'll create even more problems. And then you own that rivalry, and you've built your legacy even more. You don't even have to win championships at that point. Uh, there's there's too much good to come from Harbaugh staying. I think he will. I, I think he will stay at least one more year before we have this conversation again next year. Uh, but right because right now it just it doesn't make the most sense for him to to jump ship and try to do it again in the NFL. I I 100% agree. I think he just Michigan deserves a dynasty. Yeah, we deserve a dynasty. He's there. He set the president. He, he, and, and things are starting to change in college. Um, and in trending toward the direction he wants college sports to go, continue to be that advocate you've been, continue to win championships, continue to show kids that you're there to help them, and you're there to, to make them successful and get them to the next level. And then we are in a position where Michigan football is going to be uh, the next Alabama, if you will, or or, you know, just that next place where everybody wants to go the next Colorado the next Nebraska like the the next Miami U there's been all these pockets in college football history where teams are the team to be and it seems like it's now Michigan's turn to be that team where everybody wants to go and and that's the team that everybody wants to be all we got to do win one more championship or two right because Georgia's kind of still in the mix with that but if we win another you go back to back I think Georgia's out of the mix a little bit you get to a no, you you get to four or five CFPs in a row. Michigan is the place to be, and and that's where Jim Harbaugh can get them. But I totally get him wanting to go get a Super Bowl. But with that being said, speaking of the Super Bowl, we got to get on over and talk about these Lions getting back into the playoffs. We'll do that on the flip side of the break here on Mid Madness ninety five point three WBCK. It's time for Michigan's newest sports talk show, Mitt Madness. And here he goes, defense win championship. 
Michigan Sports Talk from here in Battle Creek. The latest stories, the biggest games, all across the Mitten State. That's not something to play with. Streaming live and on demand on the 95.3 WBCK app. Here are your hosts, Jacob Harrison and Dejon Hughes. It's hour two of Mitten Madness, 95.3 WBCK. If, uh, for whatever reason, you only like to, to listen to me and DJ talk on the weekends, then, and you missed hour one, you can, of course, check that out on the podcast center. You can download the 95.3 WBCK app, and you can listen to the show anytime, anywhere. Catch up whenever you want. Uh, we did have two hours today because of the inclement weather that is expected. It's, uh, it is now 12.40 on Friday as I'm recording this, and I've not seen the first flake of snow fall from the sky yet, so we'll see how all that goes, how, how, you know, how concerned we were for what amount of reason. But let's talk about the Detroit Lions. We've got two segments to talk, all NFL and uh, Lions. Uh, might be able to squeeze in a Red Wings Pistons update. We'll see what happens as time permits. But this is a really big situation for the Detroit Lions. The Lions are hosting the first ever playoff game in Ford Field history. It's not the first postseason game in Ford Field history. I'll have to remind you that the Pittsburgh Steelers once won a Super Bowl at Ford Field uh, when they won Super Bowl 40. That's the only other postseason game that has ever happened at this stadium. So exciting times. That count. That it does count. count. It's a postseason game. First home game, absolutely. Detroit Lions hosting the Los Angeles Rams this Sunday. I believe kickoff is at, uh, don't let me get that wrong. I'll get in a lot of trouble. 8 p.m. Um, and it will air live here on 95.3 WBCK as well as all playoff games, including the Super Bowl, uh, the entire NFL postseason here live on, uh, 95.3 WBCK throughout the postseason. This is, as I mentioned, the first home playoff game for the Lions at Ford Field, but it is the first since January 8th, 1994 in a loss, a 28-24 loss to your Green Bay Packers. Uh, to put that in reference, I was born three short months later. Uh, <laughs> that's how long ago that was. And the, the weight of, mor- of morbid reality is weighing upon me now. Two years prior to that, January 5th, 1992, a 38-6 win over the Dallas Cowboys was the last and only time the Detroit Lions have won a traditional NFL playoff game. They, uh, their win total does expand to seven if you count pre-merger playoffs. Uh, and if you do that, you would also be able to say that this is not the first time that the Detroit Lions will host the Los Angeles Rams for a playoff game. They did that all the way back in 1952 against the Los Angeles Rams 31 to 21 and they also beat the Cleveland Browns for the NFL championship that season 17 to 7 and I want to see something cuz I know the 50s are mightily important no it was not that was uh the first since 1935 the first NFL championship that the Lions had won uh since the second season of the franchise when they 
pull it off in 1935. So the second NFL championship from the last time they saw the Rams in the postseason. Oh, by the way, they're also playing Matthew Stafford, who <laughs> won a Super Bowl with these Rams just a couple of years ago. Uh, there's not a bigger story in the NFL. All of that leading to this situation for the Detroit Lions. Um, this one's going to be a lot of fun when it kicks off Sunday night. Oh, I can't wait for this one, to be honest. Like, I'm so excited. And, and I almost bought tickets to go uh, to the game there in Detroit. But I was like, eh, I'll let true Detroit fans have it. And also, this is the most expensive NFC wild card or most expensive wild card game in NFL history. I was looking at the tickets the other day. Standing room only is starting at $230. And then you get into like nosebleed seating. They're starting at, I think it was 3.30 for nosebleeds. And then you get down into the lower bowl. You couldn't find a seat cheaper than like yeah. 5.50. And the max was like $1,000. And I was like, this is insane. But I get it because Lions fans are like, we don't know if we're ever going to get this again. <laughs> For it feels like we don't know when's the next time we're hosting a playoff game. So it makes more than enough sense to me at why uh, the, the tickets are so expensive. But, I mean, the atmosphere is going to be crazy. This might be the craziest wild card atmosphere the NFL will ever see. Not even just has seen. I don't think anything in the future will touch it. Unless we get another team that has never made the playoffs uh, getting a wild card spot or, or hasn't hosted a game in forever getting a wild card spot and hosting one. But th- well, this, I mean, this is very unprecedented. Almost every team in the NFL has hosted a playoff game within the past 30 years. Yeah. Uh, mo- most franchises have at least been to their conference championship. I think the Texans are the only other franchise that hasn't been to the conference championship. I could be wrong on that. Uh it's it's wild that a that a franchise with so much history and was at one point so great. I mean, a lot of people joke about the prospects of this year's Cleveland Browns with all the the stuff they've gone through, but still being as good as they are. Uh, the jokes that exist with that, those and, and potentially playing this year's Detroit Lions, those teams have played in three NFL championships. Uh, excuse me, they've played in four NFL championships, and the Lions are three and one against the Browns in NFL championships. But all of those happened in the 1950s. It's uh, it's it's such an important game, and then you throw in the Matthew Stafford aspect. Uh, obviously, there were some jokes going around about whether or not uh, Stafford jerseys would be banned in the stadium. Of course, they're not. Uh, how do you approach that? I mean, I know you're not a Lions fan, uh, but neither of us has been in the situation where our former quarter, our former Hall of Fame likely bound quarterback is playing against our team. Uh, and who hasn't? Neither of us. Oh, you have. Actually, yeah. was, did, did you have to play a playoff game against Brett Favre? I think so. I can't remember. I don't think you had to play a playoff exactly, game against Exactly. Not Favre. a playoff, but it's still the same. Having him come back to Lambeau and okay, well then you do have a little bit more perspective on <laughs> yeah, it. How, I mean, Favre was a li- well, well, the snow's actually finally falling. Uh, Favre was a little bit less likable player, uh, maybe not so much then as as he is now. Uh, but 
that feeling of your possible Hall of Fame quarterback, yours was a little bit more bona fide, uh, quarterback coming back into your stadium to play such a massive game, uh, relate that for, for Lions fans. They've played against Stafford at his house down in LA. Uh, but now this is one of the most important games in franchise history and he's on the other side of the, uh, of the gridiron. I think they simply have to just remember Stafford and his time with the Lions for what it was. But don't treat them bad. Like the banning of jerseys. Okay, I get the company that's allowing people to trade in their Stafford jersey if they want to. Cool, that's better than burning it or throwing it away or whatever other people do with jerseys when they get mad. Go trade it in and get a new team. Like the first thousand people able to trade in and get one for like Hutchison, Amon Ra, and like Goff or something like that. Like go trade in your jersey. That's fine. I'm okay with that. But if people want to wear their Jared Goff jersey to the or their Matthew Stafford jersey to the game, they can. It's stupid. Let them do what they want. They're wearing a Lions jersey. They're still a they're probably still a fan of Matthew Stafford. Why? He was a great guy great quarterback and still doing the same things he was doing in Detroit and LA. It's hard to root against the guy. So yeah, people are probably still going to wear their Jersey, but what they want to see is the Detroit lions win the game. They want to see them win the playoff game and they will be happy if they win the playoff game. They'll be sad if they lose the playoff game, but they'll still go. It's cool to see Stafford move on and hopefully he can do well to the rest of the playoffs. There's nothing wrong with saying that. Unless they play for your arch nemesis. Like, for example, (laughs) if Aaron Rodgers decided to go and play for the Bears, I'm never going to cheer for him to do well with the Bears. No, never. But the Rams don't have any significance with the Lions. It's okay to cheer for staff. I think uh, one of the – it was – we were having a conversation earlier in the week, and I mentioned something about how – I don't know that the the trade was ultimately necessary to send Stafford out. And, you know, I didn't think things would be all that different had that not happened. And I could not have been more wrong when I made that comment, DJ. So I'm, I'm here to rectify it. As a direct result of the picks acquired from Los Angeles, the Lions added defensive back Ifedi uh, Melifonwu, who's had a, a great year this year, uh, wide receiver Jamison Williams, who we're still waiting on a breakout, but he's still pr- pretty electric. Good get. Uh, defensive lineman Josh Pascal, Running back Jameer Gibbs. I think he's okay. <laughs> I think he's pretty good. Uh, tight end Sam Laporta. Only the greatest rookie tight end in NFL history based off of his statistics. Hopefully he's able to play in this game. Uh, and defensive lineman Broderick Martin. Plus Jared Goff. Yeah, he's been, he's been pretty good. He's been serviceable. Uh, is he as good as Matthew Stafford? Debatable. Um, but a lot of good did come to Detroit because of that trade. And to have any ill will towards Stafford would be misguided to say the least. Uh, Stafford is one of the greatest quarterbacks of our, of our age. Um, and on top of that, it wasn't an ugly departure and it very well could have been because those Matt Patricia years were nonsense. Uh, Matt Patricia is once again proving his incompetence. If you watch the Eagles and you're like, why is their defense so bad? It's because Matt Patricia runs it, guys. (laughs) He's not good. 
so it very well could have been an ugly split, and it wasn't. He and his family have done a lot for the area and uh, obviously, obviously still have a lot of support for the area. It'll be a fun game. We'll continue to talk about that game as well as the rest of the playoffs, and then we'll have our picks for two segments as well here on Mitten Madness 95.3 WBCK. Here on Mitten Madness 95.3 WBCK, and we're talking about the Lions and the Rams in their playoff game. We're not going to get too much into the game because we do still have to uh, to pick the game. We have to get into uh, pretty much every game, but. As it stands right now, I think one thing that we can be very thankful for this game is that it is in a dome <laughs> because the rest of the league, uh, except for the two games that are down in Texas, they're going to be feeling it. This this storm that has passed through the entire country and is uh, finally hitting us as we're recording. I think I saw somewhere it's going to be a feels-like temperature in Kansas City of, like, negative 30. Buffalo, you know, is going to have lake effects. No, they're going to get over a foot of snow, and they're somehow still going to make uh, make the Steelers and the Bills play in that. Uh, I think Najee Harris is going to run the ball about 40 times in that game. <laughs> the Steelers and the Bills go on. Uh, so, thankfully, this one is – is in a dome. Is there anything else that, that we're that we're missing when it comes to this Lions game that that we can touch on story storyline wise that that I'm overthinking? I think I feel like I'm missing something. No, I don't. I don't think so. I think all right. So let, we've hit on all other than like you mentioned the dome piece. With that being the case. Ford Field is one of very few stadiums that has end zones east and west because the sunlight doesn't get into the eyes at any point. So, well, there's no sunlight during the fall in Detroit anyway. <laughs> hey, listen, that's not the point. The, the point is the NFL rule that the sunlight can't be in the eyes of players, and that's why most end zones are north-south, not east and west. The Lions are one of the few in Ford Field who have east and west end zones. Yeah, the the Cowboys also have that, and they're playing at home against your Packers, so just keep that in mind. Uh, it's, it's one of the weirdest, weirdest decisions in NFL history is that beautiful stadium to be positioned the way that it is to impact ball games all the time. Uh, but I digress. Let's get into the playoffs. We were talking a little bit before the, the show started about what was the best game of the weekend. And we were trying to pick between the Lions Rams game and another that I don't think anybody saw coming as being a potential playoff matchup. That is the Cleveland Browns at the Houston Texans. Uh, you don't have to determine which, which one's better, though I think this one is the one that you went with. Uh, why is this game so, so special? Why is it going to be so much fun? Especially since this is the first 
serving of playoff football we get later today. Again, live here on WBCK kickoff set for 430. Um, Joe Flacco is playing football in the playoffs again. <laughs> That's always exciting. Joey Armplants. Um, and and their, their defense is extremely good, but they're also going against what has been a very high-octane offense all year with rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year, C.J. Stroud. I mean, the guy has just been lasering it all year. I want to see what that offense is going to be like against this defense. And, I mean, Will Anderson's depicted to be defensive rookie of the year. Like, they've also done really – I shouldn't say really well, but they've done decent, if not better, on on defense to where – look at that. They're in the playoffs, and they're hosting this game, winning their division. So this is going to be down in the NRG Stadium. Two games going on in the state of Texas during – Wild card weekend. I don't know which ones. I mean, I shouldn't say that with Dallas behemoth of a stadium. That one's obviously going to be louder and more packed. And the ridiculousness that is AT&T Stadium. Houston's got some good fans, though. But NRG's, when when, and, when the yeah, Texans are have, good, their fans show up, man. They have great fans, and that place is going to be rocking, and I'm excited to see a game between kind of two teams that – don't have anything to lose. Like, like that's the thing. Like, Stafford's, like, trying to prove that, like, he left the Lions. It's a good decision. The Lions are trying to prove that, like, they deserve to be in the playoffs and trying to win their first playoff game in forever and hosting their first. Like, every other team has something to prove or something to lose. Uh, the Packers are trying to prove that they're still good enough. The Cowboys are trying to win another Super Bowl in forever. Um, you know, Baltimore has to prove that Lamar isn't a bad quarterback. The Dolphins are trying to prove that they're not a fluke because they kept losing the teams that people thought that they would beat during the season. The Chiefs are the Chiefs and have to prove they're still one of the best teams. The Eagles have to prove that they haven't fallen off after the last few weeks. Like every other team in the playoffs has something to play for besides these two teams. So this is just a game of, hey, let's just go out and play football. Nothing more exciting than that. When it comes to the teams that are playing this weekend, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, uh, my question to you is leave out the Ravens and the 49ers, the one seeds, the guys that are not playing this week. Uh, arguably the two, I, they earned it. <laughs> They're the one seeds, but those two teams really look like they could win the Super Bowl this year. Of the teams that are playing this weekend, who do you give the best shot to go the distance? and at least make, if not win, the Super Bowl this year? I'll do one from each side. I like that. As much as I want to say the Chiefs, I'm not. I can't trust their defense enough this year. 
I can't trust their receivers enough. I like I like Kansas City's defense. They're just tired. Yeah, <laughs> their receivers that, are so bad. I can give you that. The I, I gotta give it to the Bills. Really? I think their defense is starting to peak. And Josh Allen hasn't been turning the ball over. So as long as he continues to not turn the ball over, they've peaked at the best time, which is toward the end of the season. That's when you want to peak. You're playing your best football when it matters. I like the Bills, and I'm not even going to try and be that guy that thinks my team has a shot this weekend. If the NFC is not going to be the 49ers, <laughs> it's going to be the Cowboys. Okay, I can I can respect that. Um, so I, my responses are going to be vastly different from yours, and one is going to directly uh, go against that, uh, both your philosophy for the NFC and both one of the teams that you picked in the AFC. I think on the AFC side, it's it's the Steelers. And it's because it's because of the same reason I'm gonna pick the NFC team. Um, it's because you get hot at the right time. The Steelers are getting healthier at this moment. They still will not be at full strength, obviously, with the linebacker situation. Um, and the quarterback situation is weird. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I don't know that they can win the Super Bowl with Kenny or with Mason Rudolph. Uh, but I also think this goes to prove just how strong of a grip the Ravens have on <laughs> the conference and how good they are. Uh, but I think the Steelers have what it takes to beat every team in the playoffs on the AFC side except Miami. And Miami's, I don't think really suited to make it out of Kansas City this week. We'll get to our picks a little bit later. I think Pittsburgh just has everything clicking just right. It's not that I think they will. and Obviously, I'm a hopeless fan here. Uh, but I think that that plays into their possibilities very well. The NFC team that I would pick is, unfortunately, uh, the Rams. I think they... At the same way, they have won six of their last seven coming off the bye, and the only team they lost to was the AFC one seed, the Baltimore Ravens, in overtime. Matthew Stafford has been playing exceptional football. They got Kyron Williams back in the middle of that uh, that winning streak. And their running game is, is impeccable. Their defense, they, the young studs on their defense are stepping up. They don't have the superior roster that they had the year they won the Super Bowl over the, the Bengals, but they've got the makeup. They've got the things that are necessary to pull it off. And drawing a team like Detroit, as much as I love the Lions and as much as I respect what they're doing and the, the gravity of the moment, uh, Detroit hasn't been here before, right? L.A. has been here before. And I think they're equipped to take advantage of every team 
in the NFC against, except <laughs> the San Francisco 49ers. But of course, when you play your division rival in the playoffs, anything can happen. So, uh, those, those would be my two picks as far as, uh, who I think has the best shot. However, I will say that doesn't mean that's who I'm picking to win. Both of those games. Our picks are coming up next here on Mitten Madness 95.3 WCAST. Detroit sports fans, Wolverines, and Spartans alike, this is your sports show, Mitten Madness, with Jacob Harrison and Dejon Hughes on 95.3 WBCK. Here on Mitten Madness 95.3 WBCK. I am Jake Harrison. That is Dejon Hughes. It's time for our picks on a two-hour edition of the show ahead of Wild Card Weekend. A reminder, every single NFL playoff game will be here on 95.3 WBCK. So we'll have the uh, two games today being the uh, Cleveland Browns and the Houston Texans as well as the Miami Dolphins and Kansas City Chiefs right here uh, starting at um, 4.30 p.m. is uh, when kickoff is set for the first Wild Card game. Tomorrow's triple header. Uh, I think those times are central for some reason. I could be wrong. Uh, no, actually, no, they're not. Never mind. Don't mind me. Uh, Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Green Bay, Dallas, Los Angeles, and Detroit on Sunday. And then Monday, Philadelphia and Tampa. Every playoff game, every week leading up to the Super Bowl, Super Bowl included, all right here on BCK. So, DJ, get us set for uh, picks. What are the, the standings looking like? After last week, we had some guests on the show. They did very well as well. Mark coming in for his first time was 5-1, and one, only taking a loss with the Dolphins. Uh, and then Meatball went 6-0 and oh last week as well. Um, and then you went five and one, taking a loss with the Bears, and I went six and zero oh as well. So that leaves us at eighty five and thirty five for me. You're eighty one and thirty nine on the year. Mark starts off at a fresh five and one, and Meatballs up to a solid ten and two on the year. So, oh, good anyway, thing we're not doing winning percentage. <laughs> but yeah, any anytime they slide back, we'll be we'll be throwing their their records back in for us. So you got a solid chance to get back into it this week, man. <sighs> yeah. I really need some help here, and I need to not shoot myself in the foot immediately afterward by picking teams like the Bears to do the unthinkable. Uh, <laughs> especially when I do, that wasn't what you were going to pick. I uh, could have thought that one through a little bit better, but I digress. Let's get into this uh, straight away. We were not able to squeeze in any talk about the Detroit Red Wings or the Pistons, uh, and we chose to, to pick at least one of their games. Uh, so we'll kick things off with a pick between the Red Wings and the Maple Leafs, who will square off uh, on Sunday night at 7 p.m. The Red Wings are 26 16 and 5, the Maple Leafs 21, 10 and 8. Uh, much better record at home, by the way. They're 10, 7 and 2, while the Red Wings are 10, 9 and 1 on the road. Uh, how do you see this one playing out between the Red Wings and the Maple Leafs as things kind of settle there in the Atlantic Division? Ah, man, th- this one is tough for me um, because I do believe that the Wings can come out and, and do what they've been doing all year, which is kind of going back and forth. They've been scoring at a really high rate pretty much all season, but they've also kind of done this thing where they've like won a couple games and lost a couple games, won a game they shouldn't have won, but then lost a game they should have won. And and this seems like one of those games that they're going to win that they shouldn't. But I think it comes down to, you know, goalie play. And I'm not sure uh, who's going to be starting in this one for the Wings, and they are coming off a loss. Both these teams are actually coming off overtime losses. Um, so that that's going to factor into this. But I think the real kicker here is this game's played in Toronto, Ontario, meaning the Maple Leafs are at home. And it's it's a short drive for the Red Wings, but 
I, I don't see him taking down uh, the Maple Leafs. Yeah, the first one went to the Leafs here. Uh, I say here. Uh, they're in Detroit. The next two, including this one, are on the road in Toronto. And I'm looking at the, the kind of the trends for both teams. And both of them lost on Thursday in overtime. However, the, the Leafs had a at least a four-game winning streak uh, prior to that, whereas the, the, the Wings just had a three-game. But the, the Leafs were kind of blowing teams out. I mean, they, they had back-to-back games against San Jose and absolutely destroyed them. Um, I don't know. I feel like it's the, the safe bet is to go with the Leafs, and that kind of hurts because uh, I want to see the Red Wings be very good by the time I'm able to really pay attention to to hockey once the NFL season is over. But uh, this one feels like uh, feels like it's going to go for the Leafs. And that moves us right into something we haven't done yet on here, but there's a first time for everything. We are picking a UFC fight. There's going to be a UFC fight night tonight. Magomed Ankalaev will be fighting Johnny Walker, not for the first time, but for the second time. If Now, those UFC heads like me that have seen and know this is a main event kind of fight. The last time they faced off, it was a no contest that should have been a disqualification due to an illegal knee taken by Magomed, Magomed, Magomed Ankalaev while Johnny Walker had a knee on the ground. They are two very even fighters. They fight the same way. They're very successful both uh, on their feet and on the ground. There's no real like definitive factor on who could win or who not. This is a straight up who's going to come out on top kind of battle. What do you think is going to happen? I am going to go with the with the man who I cannot pronounce his his beautiful Russian name. Uh, and I like how you got a little bit of karma by messing up his first name after giving me uh, some some business for messing up his last one. Uh, I'm I'm going to go with uh with with the Russian here. I one loss, one tie, or not tie, but the the, the non decision. By the way, um yeah, I, I'm I'm going to stick with him. I, I do think it's very interesting. The the reach difference is kind of it's something I tend to stick with. Like if somebody's six foot six against a six foot three guy, I'm ten, I'm going to usually tend to go with the guy who's got the reach advantage but uh give me the 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 one that probably it seems like i don't know it's it's more of a gut feeling and looking at the records uh because i'm not a fight guy like you even though this was my suggestion uh but it sounds like the russian to me yeah i'm gonna go with magomed akalaev as well the the thing here is magomed did a great job last time they fought and getting to the body and then getting him on the ground i don't think that changes too much i think he comes with kind of the same attack where he's going to get in and out get his spacing get into the body and then and take him to the ground and do what he does best so I got Magomed coming out on top as well. All right, that is going to put us in the NFL playoffs, and I'm going to start you off with with, with the tough one for you. Uh, it might not be actually tough, but I'm going to you know tug at your heartstrings a little bit. Your Packers are in the playoffs, and they are going to be playing their old old head coach down there in Dallas against Mike McCarthy and the Cowboys. The Cowboys are a seven point favorite. The over under is forty eight and a half, seventy three point six percent chance to win for Dallas according to the ESPN analytics. But I'll say this: Jordan Love has played very well down the stretch. I think the Packers have gotten a bit healthier as well. Uh, if Christian Watson plays in this game, I think that is a massive, massive boost for for the Cheeseheads. Um, who do you think is actually going to pull it off though? Uh, Cowboys, Packers. Uh, I'm going to be honest, as much as I would love the cow, uh, the Packers to pull this out, and as much as I think this will be a close game and, and a heartfelt game, an emotional game, it is down at AT&T Stadium, and, it, and it's just one of those years where I feel things are set up for certain storylines to pass through, and Mike McCarthy finally beating the Packers in the playoffs when they don't have Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre makes total sense to me. I got to take the Cowboys. Yeah, I will stick with the Cowboys as well. And for different reasons, um, I think as good as Jordan Love has played, the fact of the matter is, is often when I go against the Cowboys, especially in the playoffs, because I don't think their offense is going to live up to it. I still don't think their offense is going to live up to it. I think their offense will stall in this game. However, their defense will show up and their defense doesn't have to, even though they probably will, it doesn't have to create a ton of turnovers to affect the game. They just have to affect Jordan Love. And they're one of the best in the NFL at doing that. Uh, give me Micah Parsons type plays where he is just, 
dis- disrupting everything that the Packers try to do, and that's the difference in the football game. I will take the Cowboys in this one. And last game for this section of picks. Going to pick the least exciting game of mine for these playoffs, the Eagles and the Bucks. The Bucks literally get in because a divisional later or a divisional winner has to get in. The Eagles have looked like nothing but trash, and I'm allowed to say that as a semi-Eagles fan uh, with things I do outside of the company. Who cares in this? That's literally how everybody's looking at this. Is this is the who cares bowl? Whoever comes out of it, who cares? They're probably losing in the next round anyway. Who who do you see winning? Do the Eagles finally get it together and win a a playoff game, or are the Bucks going to keep making magic with Baker Mayfield? First of all, it's it's hilarious to me. This is the one game that doesn't have to, you know, that's outside that doesn't have to deal with the weather, but it's still going to be raining. Uh, (laughs) And secondly, the fact that the Eagles are only a three point favorite in this game also hilarious. Over under forty four and a half. I look at that Panthers game and I don't know how to feel about it for the Bucks. Uh, There's plenty of reason to just say, well, the Panthers really showed up and wanted to ruin the the Bucks season, uh, and it was their last chance and everything like that to to show what they had. And the Eagles have just played bad football for too long. And there's there's so much within me that wants to pick the Bucks, and but even though I don't think it would be intelligent. Uh, golly, this is actually really, really hard. I, I had not come to a conclusion on this yet. Um, I think what gives the Bucks the biggest advantage is actually their ability to make plays offensively, which I know is very funny coming off a game where in which they could not score a touchdown against the team that literally finished with the worst record in football. Um, but all Baker Mayfield really has to do is facilitate the football to his receivers and to uh, Rasheed White out of backfield. Hurts in the Eagles offense has been playing so badly. Their defense is run by Matt Patricia. I'm not so sure that, that the Eagles are actually going to be able to keep pace if the Bucks play to their full potential. I'm going to do the dumb thing here, and I'm going to take the Bucks. You know what's crazy? I don't really think it's all that dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Patricia has not proven himself as a defensive coordinator in the NFL at all. Without Bill Belichick. <laughs> and like you said, the, the Eagles offense isn't doing them any favors whatsoever. They're playing a ton of defense. So they're tired while they're trying to play against decent offenses at best. And um, I don't know about you, but who finna stop Mike Evans? <laughs> He's been playing some good football. <laughs> I don't see it happening, so I got to take the Bucks too. Interesting, uh, man. I, I'm 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 kind of glad that you're taking the Bucks now. Now I don't feel so feel so bad. Uh, you know, if, if that one makes me look stupid, at least I don't have to go down by myself. All right, we'll come back for our last four picks, wrap everything up, and get you ready for a fun weekend of NFL playoffs here on ninety five point three WBCK. Ninety five point three WBC. CK. Back here for one more segment. Two hours of Mitten Madness on 95.3 WBCK. If you missed any of the show, check it out on the Podcast Center. Download the 95.3 WBCK app and listen to the show anytime, anywhere. Last four picks. DJ, I'll get this one started with what you feel is the game of the weekend, and it's the one that kicks it all off. Wild Card Super Weekend or whatever they're selling it as on NBC at 4.30 right here on WBCK as well. Cleveland at Houston. The Texans come out of nowhere uh, with C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson to get into the playoffs winning the AFC South, Cleveland Browns defying all injury odds, losing Sean Watson, losing Nick Chubb, at times losing Amari Cooper, but their defense stayed healthy and their defense is one of the best in the NFL. Uh, Two-point favorite is all Cleveland gets on the road in NRG Stadium. 43 and a half uh, is the over-under, and I really like this one from ESPN Analytics, a 50-50 ball game. I love that. And, and, and my biggest thing with this game is this is two teams that have absolutely nothing to lose, like I said earlier. Um, wow. This one's so tough for me, um, with it truly being a 50-50 game, because when you look at the two teams, the Texans defense isn't strong enough for you to say that like they're just going to make it happen but the Browns defense is strong enough to say that they could win a championship based off of that but then the Texans offense is the highlight of their team and they look really good and the Browns offense is lackluster with Joe Flacco there. The, the best parts of these teams are going against each other 
which one is going to win. I don't know, but I think I have to err on the side of not necessarily caution, but with trends and, and with sayings and things we know, defenses win champions. So I'm going to trust the Browns and their defense to cause just enough havoc, maybe a turnover, and get just one more stop than the Texans. Yeah, I feel uh, I feel kind of conflicted here. There's there's no part of me that wants to pick the Browns, but <clears throat> them not having Deshaun Watson at quarterback certainly helps with my ability to to look at what they're doing and be uh, to to have admiration for it. It's very impressive. That said, they have not had to play the greatest competition down the stretch. Uh, Jacksonville, Chicago, Houston without C.J. Stroud and the Jets, and they didn't win all of those games with overt consistent. It wasn't like blowouts every single time. They beat the Bears by three. They beat Houston without CJ Stroud, 36 to 22. I, I, unless I'm misremembering if Stroud was in that game or not. If I am, forgive me. Um, if, if it was, it was his first game back. I'm actually going to go the other way. I, I respect what the Browns have done. I respect the whole Joe Flacco madness and I wouldn't be surprised if they're able to pull this off and really make some noise in the AFC side of the bracket. But I think the Texans are actually the better football team. Uh, contrary to what it looked like when they played on Christmas Eve, give me the Texans. Wow. Get you trying to gain some ground in this. <laughs> I ain't mad at you. Uh, you. You know how I like to terrorize you, so I'm not even going to jump into that game next. Dolphins Chiefs going on in Arrowhead. <laughs> and this game is surprisingly the coldest of the week. Yeah. Like, it's supposed to be negative 30 wind chill out there. And that's and that's with the Buffalo Bills hosting a game this weekend, by the way, people. <laughs> that is beyond crazy to me. Dolphins coming into town, trying to do something they haven't really done all year, beat a good football team. <laughs> They've kind of just been beating up on all the bad ones and, and getting just enough bad wins this year to get into the playoffs. They're going to take down. Uh, they, they're going and trying to get their chance of taking down the Chiefs. We've won a couple Super Bowls already. We know how good they are. They have Patrick Mahomes. They have Travis Kelsey. But can their receivers catch the ball? What do you think is going to happen come Saturday night? So here's the thing. Uh, Patrick Mahomes has never played a road playoff game, right? And that's supposed to be some big advantage. Here's my prediction. He still won't have played a road playoff game by the end of these playoffs. And the reason why is because they're not going to win this football game. Uh, I do not care that the Dolphins are actually the worst team of these two. The reason that I think they will win is because it is going to be negative 30 degrees out and the Dolphins run the ball better than the Chiefs do. And even when the Chiefs are running the ball well, they like to look at Isaiah Pacheco and say that he runs weird, and we have to stop giving him the ball and try to throw the ball again, even though we know our receivers can't catch. And, oh, by the way, it's ridiculously cold outside. We should be running the ball. They're still not going to do it. Uh, and the receivers aren't going to catch the balls. They're not going to make the plays. The, it, this is such a waste of a season for the greatness of, of Patrick Mahomes that it's, it's annoying. Uh, and the Dolphins don't deserve to make it past this week because they did something as stupid as allow Bradley Chubb to get hurt. And they're playing in a game where they can't take advantage of what it is that they like to do, which is throw the ball across the yard with all their speed. But they have Raheem Mostert, they have Devon Achan, and they can run the ball. Just run the ball. Run the ball. Run the ball. Miami should win the game if they do that. That was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> but the, the, the crazy part is, I think Isaiah Pacheco is a better running back than both. I agree. Of, because of the way he runs. And I don't think that they look at I him agree. and think he runs weird and don't throw him the ball, which I thought was hilarious. But Dude, he makes plays and then they just stop running the ball. I think it's just because it's, it's the Patrick Mahomes effect. You can't not throw the ball with Patrick Mahomes. Like, it's Patrick Mahomes. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. oh, don't, don't get me wrong. If I got on Madden and we were playing in a snow game and I had the Chiefs, I'm handing the ball off 40 times in the game. I'm not going to try <laughs> and pass the ball a bunch. But in their head, the Chiefs are like, we're built off of Patrick Mahomes and how great he is, so we can't not use our best weapon. Especially when your second best weapon is the tight end, Travis. Like, you have to do what you can to try and get him the ball. So I understand why they throw the ball more. But with your point, 
it being cold, it's hard to throw, hard to grip, hard to catch, hard to move. Got to trust the running game. So I'm going to go with the Dolphins as well. Ah, I, I, I definitely did pick the Dolphins in mind with the thought that you were not going to go away from the Chiefs. Uh, but that's okay. That's okay. I uh, think we both know how we're going to pick the next one, uh, but let's let's get to it. It is the first home playoff game in over 30 years. Looking for the first playoff win in even longer. The Detroit Lions will host Matthew Stafford and the Los Angeles Rams Sunday night on NBC as three and a half point favorites. 54% chance to win according to the ESPN analytics. 51 and a half is the over under. Uh, this is kind of the moment that we've been waiting for this entire time, right? Who's going to win this football game? Game. Oh man, this game, this game is probably the most interested I've ever been in a Lions. Game. And that includes the ones where they play the back. <laughs> I'm so intrigued. Does Jamison Williams finally pop off? How are they going to attack Amon Ra? What is the backfield going to look like with Montgomery and Gibbs both completely healthy? Will Sam before to play? What do you do with Josh and Craig Reynolds, Khalif Raymond? Does Sam Laporta play? How does this defense come out in the biggest game of their life as a Lions, uh, as a Lions player? Is CJ Gardner Johnson going to be completely healthy? All of these pieces go into this game but then the flip side does Matthew Stafford get a rush of energy after going back to a place that he called home for so long and are the are the Lions going to be able to compete with a guy that knows how to win inside of Ford Field how are the Lions fans going to accept Stafford is it going to be half good half bad is it going to be mostly good mostly bad how do they how do the fans factor into this game there's so many questions surrounding this game but I got to go now just the trends of the season but with just vibes. I'm going strictly off vibes with this pick. This game is going to be insanity. There are people spending $230 on a standing room only ticket. That place is going to be rocking. And if the Lions, when the Lions win this game, Detroit's going to burn to the ground. <laughs> and there'll still be more to go. Uh, this this one's funny because I'm not a Lions fan. I am a Steelers fan. But I, I'd be lying if I said I didn't have even more sympathy for the Lions than I did for Michigan. I want to see the Lions go as far as they can this year. Um, so with my heart, I would like to pick the Lions. With my head, I'm looking at a team that has rattled off six wins out of its last seven, and the only one it lost was to the number one seed in the AFC, that being the Baltimore Ravens. And the Los Angeles Rams have been that team since their bye week and since Kyron Williams got hurt that you don't want to play. That said, very similarly to the Cleveland Browns, who I talked about earlier, their wins have not been impressive since that Ravens loss. 28 to 20 over Washington. That's a bad football team. 30 to 22 over New Orleans. That's a bad football team. That was a late score in that game. And that game was kind of the one that kind of woke everybody up to what the Rams are capable of. But uh, you let them come back there at the end. 26 to 25 to beat the Giants the next week after that when you had all that momentum. Dog, what? The Giants are terrible. 21 to 20 against San Francisco's backups. I don't know. <sighs> are the, the Rams pretenders? I think they might be. I think there's more to it. I think the Rams definitely have the moxie. And I'm not walking back the comments that I made earlier. I'm saying these are the reasons why you should still believe in the Lions to be able to pull this off. The Lions themselves should be coming off a uh, four-game winning streak. They should have beaten the, the Dallas Cowboys. We all saw how that went. Um, give me the Lions at home. I believe that they are set to win not only their uh, their 
first home game at Ford Field in the postseason, but also their first playoff game in over 30 years. And that brings us to our last pick of the week. What do you think I'm going to do, DJ? This game opened up at a 42.5 over-under, a 9.5-point spread. The official over-under is sitting at 34.5. Matchup predictor is 23.4% to 76.6%. One team is 5-3 and three on the road. The other team is 7-2 and two at home. And this is going to be in a stadium where it's 22 degrees outside. Maybe some light flurries will be falling. This is happening at Highmark Stadium. Buffalo Bills hosting your Pittsburgh Steelers. Do you guys win another playoff game under Mike Tomlin? Or the sending you home pack? It's been a long time since we won a playoff game under Mike Tomlin, I'll tell you that. So you listed off a lot of reasons why it shouldn't go their way, but, but I think there was one part that you missed, and is that they're going to be playing in a foot of snow. Um, the Steelers, as I mentioned before, are one of those teams that are really, really hot, and I don't... There's not a lot in me that believes that they can... <clears throat> excuse me. There's not a lot in me that believes that they can go win a Super Bowl with Mason Rudolph at quarterback or Kenny Pickett or whoever it may be. Uh, but when it comes to a football game where they have to run the football, play defense and create turnovers against a team that is turnover prone and win ugly in an ugly environment, that's exactly what the Steelers have done all year. At, at no point have they ever made this look easy. And this looks like the the most daunting task that any team should have, and yet it seems to be playing right into their, their wheelhouse. And maybe that's the reverse psychology. Maybe that's exactly why they should lose to the Bills. Because uh, Look, I, I saw somebody uh, say it earlier. They're playing the Buffalo Bills, not the Bermuda Bills. The Bills know how to play in this environment, too. The problem is that the Bills don't run the ball as well as the Steelers do. Uh, the Bills don't play as good a defense as the Steelers do. And the Steelers are getting healthy. So, uh, yeah, it, I, I 100% acknowledge it's a homer pick for a plethora of reasons. But at the same time, I think it makes plenty of sense. I think Steelers will win this game. Ah, uh, such a homer pick. As Very expected. much so. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I didn't expect you to go against that. Um, as much as this game is going to be played in a foot of snow, it's going to be cold. you got to run the ball. Blah, 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 blah. You know who never does that in the snow because they just don't care and they're used to it? The Buffalo Bills. They're also pretty hot right now. They're 7-2 and two at home, and Josh Allen is tired of hearing the BS. And we couldn't go with just one game being different between us. So, of course, I have to go with the Bills to take out your Steelers. Hey, the, the last time the Bills had to play a game like this, they played against the Patriots, and they lost because they were arrogant enough to throw the ball too much. That was last time, not this time. With that being said, picks for this week, a chance for you to get two games closer as we both have Makamed Ankalaev winning his UFC fight. The Maple Leafs will take down the wings. Bucks over the Eagles. Lions winning their first game uh, in Ford Field in the playoff. Cowboys doing their thing in AT&T Stadium. Dolphins diving into Arrowhead and coming out with a win. I'm going to take the Browns to do the thing with good old Joe Flacco. You've got CJ Stroud doing his thing as uh, a first-timer in uh, beating an Ohio team after leaving there without too many wins in college. Nice, and man. and uh, I'm going to take those good old Bills in Highmark Stadium to come out with a home victory over your uh, Steelers with good old Mike Thompson. Sounds like a plan. Like I said, and I've mentioned several times, uh, we will have the NFL playoffs all postseason long here on 95.3 WBCK, whether the, the Lions advance or not. It's not determined on the Lions. It is the NFL playoffs all postseason long. So uh, stay tuned for that when kickoff strikes for the Texans-Browns game. They're at 430. They'll be here on 95.3 WBCK. If you missed any of the show, check it out on the app, 95.3 WBCK app. I'm Jacob Harrison. That is Dejon Hughes, and we will see you next week at our regular time of 10 a.m. You can also catch the replay on 9. It is 9 because that was the original time. You can also catch the... Uh, Community Matters is replay. Right. You can catch the replay of Community Matters at 8. You can catch the replay of us at 9. That's if the games are over by then. We don't really... Well, obviously the, the Chiefs-Dolphins game will be on this time. Uh, but for future reference, you can always catch the show on replay Saturdays at uh, 9 p.m. Yeah, that'll do it. Y'all enjoy the NFL playoffs. We'll talk to you next week. Join Jacob Harrison and Dejon Hughes every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. for Mitt Matt. 
Madness on 95.3 WVCK. Miss the show or want to play it back? Stream Mitten Madness live or on demand on the 95.3 WVCK app.